The Guardian. Unplug your mobile phone charger to save around £3.50 a year. For more easy ways to save, complete our energy savers report at britishgas.co.uk forward slash ESR. Hello, I'm Alison Benjamin and this is Environment Weekly. Coming up on this week's show, we hear from Ken Livingstone, who is trying to make this the first green election for Mayor of London. With the coming to the end of Bush's presidency, really, Boris would be the most high-profile politician anywhere in the English-speaking world, still in denial. John Vidal talks to Brazilian ecotown planner Jaime Lerner, and our campaign of the week focuses on car clubs. This is Environment Weekly from guardian.co.uk. With me in the studio, I'm joined by John Vidal, The Guardian's environment editor. Hello. And Leo Hickman, the paper's ethical living editor. Hello. Any heartening green moments this week, guys? I have to say the T5, Terminal 5, and is, is, is superb because what it's done is, <laughs> is proven without doubt that Britain does not need short-haul aviation. And uh, tens of thousands of people are now no longer going to use aeroplanes. They're all going to get into their trains and <laughs> everyone will be better off. Let's hope so. Leo? I think the news that Al Gore announced earlier this week about how he's behind a sort of $300 million advertising campaign to hit US screens, basically saying we need to push climate change up the presidential election agenda, which is obviously badly, badly needed. I think that's pretty exciting, whether you agree with the exact way he's doing the messaging or not. But I think that's pretty exciting that might finally be forced onto the agenda. Other good news, I must say that the the tiny little carbon offset company called Climate Care, which was one man in a bedroom 10 years ago in Oxford, um, has just last week sold out to JP Morgan, the biggest investment house in the world, and who's going to roll out carbon offsetting to 60,000 corporate customers around the world. And if that doesn't change things in one way or another, Mm. for good or for bad, Mm. I don't know what will. Okay, well, let's find out what's been happening in the environment news. Nuclear is UK's new North Sea oil, says Minister, The Guardian. The business secretary, John Hutton, has called for a huge expansion of Britain's nuclear power. He said replacing all our nuclear reactors could add £20 billion to the UK economy by creating thousands of highly skilled jobs. His speech came ahead of a deal signed last week by Gordon Brown and French President Nicolas Sarkozy. This will allow Britain to use French expertise in nuclear power to build a new generation of power stations and to export the technology around the world. Environmentalists argue that the government should be creating new jobs in renewable energy instead, pointing out that the taxpayer will pick up the bill for the disposal of radioactive waste. John, the government seems pretty wedded to nuclear. Is this the end for renewables in the UK? Well, you're dead right about the, about the one. Um, all the jobs which are promised by Hutton um, are basically jobs for French engineers because the Brits have got absolutely no one left under the age of 60 who can run a nuclear power station. I think that it is a question now of renewables being squeezed very tightly, both by nuclear on the one side and by coal on the other. If you talk to big companies and whatever, they just say, well, there isn't room for both because the companies are going to follow where the the money is and where the the incentives are. And uh, it looks pretty grim for renewables at the moment. Leo, do you think the government's energy policy seems to be in a bit of a mess? It does seem to be going down a rather frightening and worrying path after all this talk about having this energy mix and having all the fingers and lots of different pies. It does seem to be that, for want of a better pun, really, the, the nuclear mushroom is kind of taking over the whole scene now and does seem that renewables are being squeezed, which is a shame. For my own feeling is that there should just be an energy mix, which was the original idea that they were talking about. And now that just seems to be being pushed to one side and you have a much more dominant sector than another, which is, is worrying. 
in Europe, Britain is actually trying to um, massage the uh, commitments on renewables quite distinctly. Um, and one of these includes trying to make um, clean coal effectively a renewable. Um, so in other words, if Britain invests in clean coal technology, then any electricity generated by these, quote, new power stations would be able to count on national targets. And also, even more staggeringly, Britain actually wants any renewable investment made anywhere in the world by British companies or the government to count for UK targets. Now, this is absolutely rewriting the whole European book. Now, it's got a long way to run, and a lot of other European countries, including Germany, are absolutely appalled. They're not going to fall for this one, are they? Well, you never know. I mean, Britain plays a very strong hand, and uh, they've teamed up with Italy, and now the French are deeply involved in British Mm. energy policy with uh, Sarkozy and Mm. and Hutton like Mm. that. Um, Who knows? million acres of Guyanese rainforest to be saved in groundbreaking deal, The Independent. A deal has been struck to pay for the upkeep of rainforests to provide rainfall generation, carbon storage and climate regulation. London financier's Canopy Capital sealed the deal after Guyana's president pleaded for help to avoid rampant deforestation. Around 80% of the country's land is covered by pristine rainforest. That's an area larger than England. This sounds good news for the Guyanese, but I must admit that my heart did sink when I read that the deal will open the way for financial markets to play a key role in safeguarding the fate of the world's forests. What do you think, John? I think we've all got to get very used to the fact that the forests are going to be part of financial markets in the next 20 years. And um, deals struck, post-Kyoto deals, climate change deals are going to involve forestry protection. And the people who are going to do that are the hedge funds, are the financiers who will make an absolute fortune out of it by saying, well, if we don't cut down your forests, then you give us money. And so Guyana or whoever, Cameroon, will get some money. But I suspect that the hedge funds in New York or wherever will get even more. Leo, what about ecotourism? Couldn't this play a role here? On a much, much tinier scale, you're not you're never going to have tourism saving great swathes of rainforest around the equator or whatever. But I agree that it, on the surface, it does feel just sort of deeply depressing. Do we really have to rely on the kind of the markets to sort of save the rainforests? Um, but I suppose the brutal reality is that it sounds like it's at the moment the only show in town. And if it if it does actually mean saving the rainforests from being felled and chopped down and turned over to cattle ranches or dodgy biofuel crops or whatever <laughs> we keep hearing about, then it is exasperating. It does just make you kind of wonder where we're heading. But at the moment, it, to be blunt, it is the only show in town. Livingstone bids to turn the election battle green, the London Evening Standard. The Mayor of London, Ken Livingstone, and his Tory rival Boris Johnson have both launched their Green Manifestos for London. Ken is trying to turn the capital's mayoral race into the UK's first green election. He says May the 1st is a referendum on his policies to tackle climate change. His plan for a £25 congestion charge for gas guzzlers is at the heart of his re-election bid. But could he be beaten at his own game? Boris is proposing to reward households who recycle with shopping vouchers. He also wants to plant 10,000 street trees, insulate our homes in return for council tax rebates, and like Ken, he opposes Heathrow's third runway. Leo, although Boris does defend Bush's refusal to sign the Kyoto Treaty on climate change, some of these policies do sound pretty green. I mean, do you think he could beat Ken at his own game? Well, I seem to remember the, when David Cameron, the leader of the Conservatives, got his job, top job, a few years ago, he kind of came on this kind of great green ticket. And as soon as it was actually taken to the Tory party conference last year, it pretty much just evaporated. 
tolerated immediately when it actually met the reality of what the party faithful would tolerate. I have to be deeply suspicious of whatever the Tories come up with on their green policies. I, I'm a bit worried about his idea that you would be rewarded for recycling more by being given vouchers to shop because then you would just go out and buy more food with more packaging <laughs> and or you know whatever you buy is going to come up with more waste. So I'd rather we were all rewarded for doing our bits through just basic council tax rebates or whatever it may be. I am a bit worried that Ken, whether you love him or loathe him, has managed to make London a kind of high-profile climate change alert city, you would say. I mean, long, obviously a long way to go, but I do worry that it's all going to be undone. Mm. John, do you think the mayoral election will be decided on green issues? Yeah, it could well be, actually. But the thing is, and what Boris has very cleverly gone for is the sort of the old-fashioned green, the simple green dog poo and trees <laughs> and, you know, think of things which, which the ordinary London taxi driver thinks of as the environment. <laughs> In fact, Ken is so far ahead of Boris on everything which actually really, really matters, that he's out of sight. I mean, I have to say, I've looked at Boris's manifesto and he says he's going to, quote, move towards the 60% cuts by 2025, which are Ken's targets. But we all know that move towards means I'm not going to do anything at all. It would basically set back climate change, as I can see, by about 20 years, and it would put Boris somewhere behind President Bush right now. And and he might as well sign up with Exxon. I mean, it's just it's it's ludicrous, actually. It's, It's very frightening as well. Okay, well, we're here more from Mayor Ken Livingston later on the show. Now, whoever wins the London mayoral election on May the 1st could learn a thing or two from Brazilian architect and urban planner Jaime Lerner. As the three-time mayor of Curitiba, the largest city in the south of the country, he turned a grimy, congested state capital into an example of green living. John Vidal met him in London this week. Jamie, you took over Curitiba. How did you find it then, and what did you try to do? The quality of life of this city is becoming better every day. When we started, we didn't have any financial resources. We understood not being afraid of simplicity. So if we didn't have, for instance, a subway, let's try to imagine what makes a good system. Speed, reliability, comfort. And we started a system in 1974 with 25,000 passengers a day. This system is being improved and improved and improved. Now we are transporting 2,400,000 passengers a day. This is one of the cheapest systems in the world, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it pays by itself. There's no subsidy. That means a lot, because in our country, or in many countries, we need the money to social investments, education, healthcare, the care of children. So if you start to subsidize, you won't have any, any other financial resources. So the city was planned as a structure of living and working together. And that's what we're doing in our cities. We're separating, separating life, from work, life from work. And, and that's, in many cities, becoming a disaster. You also concentrated a very great deal on, on open space and uh, parks and renewing yes. old quarries. What did, what did you do there? Well, we had, a, in 1970, a half square meter of green area per inhabitant. Mm. Now, a few years after, we had 52 square meters. 
and the population tripled. That means 300 times more. And we decided instead of building new parks, saving the existing woods. I've been working in cities for almost 40 years. And on the concept of the city, I would say there's a few commandments. One is use less your car. Mm -hmm. Most of the cities will have to, in less than five, ten years, will have to provide really very good alternatives. It's not enough for many cities to sign in the Kyoto Protocol. It's more important if they provide a good public transport. The second is separating your garbage to avoid the waste of energy and then so The third, which is the most important of everything, live closer to your work or bring work closer to home. The fourth is multi-use. In London, there's the planning for the new Olympic Games. It's very important to know what you're going to have after the Olympic Games. For instance, we cannot have an arena being used, let's say, 10 times a year. An arena could be, in the morning, a very good market, in the afternoon, a good faculty, and the evenings for social and cultural events. So we have to have this concept of the city of 24 hours. So you have to think differently, you have a revolution in yes. thinking about the city. Yes, <laughs> and we have to keep in mind that sustainability is very simple. It's an equation between what you save and what you waste. If you're wasting zero, your sustainability goes to the infinitum. So keeping this balance is very important. They're trying to make the city a very complex issue. The world is full of complexity sellers. They want to sell you complexity. And we should beat them with slippers. Keep it simple. Start simple and you can improve and being sophisticated more and more. But we have to start immediately. Jamie Lerner, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. That was John Vidal talking to Jamie Lerner. I'm Alison Benjamin, still to come on this edition of Environment Weekly, London Mayor Ken Livingstone's eco-plans for the capital. If Ken is re-elected, one of the proposals for London is to expand car clubs in the capital. For our campaign of the week, we hear from Philip Igo, the co-director of Car Plus, who wants a car club in every neighbourhood in Britain. He spoke to us from a garden in Bournemouth. My name is Philip Igo, and I work for Car Plus, which is the charity which promotes car clubs, and also for Common Wheels, which is a social enterprise which is looking to establish car clubs across the country. Particularly interested in establishing what I call village cars, which is a, a means of people who own a car using them to enable the rest of the community to have access to a car when they need one without the hassle and expense of owning them. And the way that will work is that we will install a system within the cars that will enable people to book the car online or by telephone. And then when they're given a smart card, they're able to access the cars and use them as they need them and pay for them by the hour. People who join a car club will save themselves up to 1500 or £2,000 a year. 
And because people who are in car clubs reduce their mileage significantly, uh, they'll reduce their own CO2 output by over a tonne. So if we think of 20 people using one car, each car that we can place on the street will actually save the equivalent of about 14 return trips to the US. So people will save money, we will save the environment, and we will also help people um, get fitter because car club members walk and cycle a lot more. Now to do this, I need the support of the government, and I've asked the Department of Transport to uh, give me some money to set this scheme up. I won't need ongoing funding because it'll be self-financing, but if we're going to realise the benefits of these schemes, it's um, incumbent really on the government to put their hands in their pocket and to uh, give us a grant to, to kick the things off. We hear a lot in terms of the, the need to stop global warming and to find ways to encourage people to drive less. And this is an excellent way where people voluntarily will reduce their mileage and reduce their car use. So if anyone's interested, the CarPlus website address, carplus.org.uk. That was Philip Igo of CarPlus. OK, well, another way to reduce your CO2 emissions is to join the Guardian's Tread Lightly initiative. More than 4,200 people have now joined and saved enough CO2 to turn off a coal-fired power station for the equivalent of 23 minutes. This week's pledge is to ditch bottled water. In the UK, we drink a staggering 37 billion litres of bottled water every year. To pledge, go to guardian.co.uk slash treadlightly. John, are you ditching the bottled water? No, I'm, I'm taking up Fiji water, <laughs> which is brought all the way to me from Fiji in the Pacific Ocean. Seriously, this is, this is the latest in sort of designer water. But the <laughs> argument which is being used is that this is completely sustainable because if it were not being mined or, or, or gathered in Fiji, the argument goes, the people of Fiji would be that much poorer and would not be able to look after their forests. This is what is being said. It's a complete nonsense. So this, is, this is fair is, trade bottled water, isn't this it? Is, this is putting the fair trade bit in with water and the sophistication of the arguments for bringing water all the way around the world is now so astonishing. But, it's funny you should say that. Like, you really notice this new kind of almost warped line of arguing. You're getting it with kind of roses and Kenya saying, oh, we should actually be buying all this food from flown in from abroad because they're using the, the moral card, the kind of guilt card that it's a really new tactic now that everyone keeps using to sort of justify whatever it is. The climate change set against the sort of fair trade, developing nation, emerging economy, kind of don't want to keep them down kind of argument, which is obviously they're both important arguments, but it's interesting that they're being used to sort of trump other arguments. Most of them are very well designed by very sophisticated PR agencies. <laughs> But it's true, if we stop buying our green beans from Kenya tomorrow, they would have a problem, wouldn't they? No, they wouldn't. That's absolutely absurd. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> they could grow them for themselves. As it is, half the people of Kenya haven't got enough to eat anyway. It's a very specious argument, as, as you were saying. It's like there's the, the money which goes to these operations tends to be to very, very few people. And in Britain's case, for, for, the, for the cut flowers and the green beans, it's basically very, very large, £200 million a year, British-run organisations, which are ruthless in the way they treat people. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll discuss this further on future shows. It's pretty well known that Ken Livingstone is running on a green ticket to get re-elected as London's mayor. His green credentials include introducing the world's first congestion charge, a low emission zone, improving cycling lanes and increasing bus travel. But he wants the mandate to go much further and has vowed to slap a hefty charge on gas guzzlers to move a quarter of London's energy supply to local generation and to find polluting vans and minibuses in the emission zone. He says his rivals are not in tune with the voters' passion for urgent action on global warming. 
John Vidal met Ken Livingston this week. Ken Livingston, thank you very much for, for meeting us. We're at the Royal Festival Hall. We're going to talk about the environment, which has become a central issue in this great battle you're having. Uh, it just seems from reading the polls that Boris is ahead. What's going wrong? I mean, surely the environment is one of the great key it's, cornerstones of well, your... Part of the problem is the accept... As a, I mean, the Guardian's done a lot of detailed stuff on uh, policy, as has the Independent, the FT. But almost all the popular media, in particular radio and TV, it's a personality contest. Trying to get, I mean, onto a serious debate about housing or the environment, um, it's just very difficult. And Boris is being managed in a way very reminiscent of Richard Nixon in 1968 when he came back as the new Nixon. Everything was staged, managed, and they tried to sort of blur all the rather harsh images of his past and his reactionary views. And they managed to sell this to America. And, of course, you ended up with four more years of war, tens of thousands, well, hundreds of thousands of dead, Vietnamese, massive network of corruption. Um, And, of course, there was no new Nixon at all. And what you now see is you can't get Boris into more than the very small number of joint events where he's under scrutiny. I mean, as mayor, I've done a press conference every week, year in, year out. I never leave while any journalist got questioned. Boris gets these sort of little presentations he does, and he's usually whisked away before there's any great debate or scrutiny. And so most people out there have no idea where that he's I mean, opposed to the Kyoto Treaty or any of the other stuff. But look at his environment policies. I mean, he would seem to be much more populist than you. He's not going for the climate change. He's going for what I would call dog poo and litter mm. and, and planting trees. I mean, he's committed to planting, I think, 10,000 trees a year on our streets, opening the fact we already do 12. But he's been absolutely desperate to avoid the key issues, and that is about reducing our carbon emissions. And that means changing the way we live. And therefore, he's absolutely clear on this, that he doesn't say, well, he's opposed to the charge on gas-guzzling cars. He says it's a charge on family cars. That's not absolute nonsense, actually. He's not doing anything in terms of the real work of implementing reductions of carbon emissions because it involves scaling down the amount of air travel we have. He's committed to building a new airport out in the Thames estuary where where we actually are trying to build a a major new nature reserve. Do you think that you may be almost too rarefied for the London uh, public in that they still associate the environment in many cases with these very, very ordinary street issues? I mean, they are really street issues as well. It's the question, are you going to be recycling? We're about to open a factory in Barking which will recycle all plastic waste in London. So no longer does it have to be landfilled or incinerated or shipped out to China. I mean, we've now got plans to take over the um, Edmonton incinerator. And the incinerator's the last thing you actually want if you're tackling carbon emissions. Look at a gasification plant or, or whatever. And in all these areas, Boris just won't engage in the real debate. I don't, I've never met a candidate who's in favour of dog mess on the streets, and everyone's in favour of having more trees. The question is, are you going to intervene to make sure people make these changes? And that means you can't reduce the congestion zone in half. You can't I mean, overturn my decision to go for a £25 charge for the most carbon-emitting cars. You've got to press ahead with those things. I mean, the real pattern is that when you look at what Johnson is doing, you would end up with London's carbon emissions starting to rise, and whereas over the last few years they've started to fall. What would it mean if Boris gets in, in terms of climate change? Well, of course, whether or not the 
other 39 world cities that make the C40, the big cities that come together to tackle climate change together, would consider that the Mayor of London should continue to chair this, as he's an opponent, the Kyoto Treaty is one thing. But I think the really damaging thing would be around the world, politicians, mayors, government ministers, would all look at London and say, here was a mayor who by common consent had actually led the struggle on climate change, was way out ahead of his own government, had brought in major changes to the way people travel, achieved this 5% shift to public transport from the car, and he lost. But and he was he voted would, out. I mean, that's, that's yeah, the key that's thing. It. He lost, and the, the reality, therefore, is people aren't ready for this agenda. So I think right the way across the world it would strengthen those people who are in climate change denial, but it would terribly demoralise those people who are mincing painfully slowly towards doing something about it. Because, I mean, they would feel, I might follow him to electoral oblivion. The interesting thing is, um, in California, you had Schwarzenegger picked up the environment, the climate change thing, and became very popular and probably turned his whole uh, campaign around and won on that basis. Why is it not working here in Britain in the same way? I think that with Schwarzenegger, he, he got elected initially on a pretty Republican platform, and his popularity slumped. And he picked up this issue of environment. And, of course... The one nice thing about California is it's filled with environmentalists. Everything from hardline Republicans who are in the Sierra Club. In that sense, California is not typical of American politics. There's a lot of mayors all over America who've signed up to Kyoto and are doing good work. But here you've got a Republican leading this. And his popularity has soared. And I think that's most properly why the Republican Party is moving away from Bush's position. They've selected a candidate for president... Uh, of all the presidential candidates, John McCain was the one who was most clear that climate change is a threat and you've got to reduce carbon emissions. So it's very encouraging in many ways. It's extraordinary that Boris is taking your target of a 60% cut by 2025, but is not completely committed to it. All he says he wants to do is to move towards it. What does that mean? Well, I mean, if you can get a really good interview with him and pin him down, I shall watch and listen with interest to to what's done about this. I mean, clearly now, I mean, the level of commitment of Londoners to tackling climate change is quite strong in the polls. It's up there in the top four issues. And therefore, somebody came out and said, this is a load of old rubbish, we must carry on polluting because of our freedom to do so, wouldn't have a chance. So, as you said, I mean... He picks up his up, wouldn't be nice to have more trees, get rid of dog mess. Or we want these reduced carbon emissions, but he won't take any of the measures necessary to change behaviour. Are you prepared to tackle him on, on these, these, these street issues and really I, make I mean, a go of it yourself? Every time we've had, it, on those rare occasions we've had a debate, I've actually always said, and here's a candidate who supported George Bush in rejecting the Kyoto Treaty, and he, he wrote the article in The Telegraph in the days when he could write what he believed rather than what his managers are now telling him. And he just never replied to that. I mean, he was challenged by Tim Donovan from the BBC on this, but didn't take the opportunity to come out and say, no, I, I now accept climate change is a problem, we should sign Kyoto. But, I mean, with the defeat of the Howard government in Australia and with the coming to the end of Bush's presidency, really, Boris would be the most high-profile politician anywhere in the English-speaking world, still in denial. What about the environment groups? They don't seem to be coming out in support of you. What's, what's, what's going on here? I mean, surely there's 400,000 members of... Well, Jonathan Boris's position was absolutely clear, and he's not been someone that really has endorsed politicians. Most of the environmental groups have charitable status and therefore in a very difficult position. 
And I think they made the fatal mistake of initially assuming Boris was a joke and couldn't win. The very first hustings of the mayoral campaign was an environmental one. And Boris told a few jokes about buying me a bike or something. And you got all these environmentalists in the audience, and no one got up and said about nuclear power, no one got up and asked about the Kyoto Treaty. And everyone came away, and in the, in the weeks that followed this, well, what went wrong there then? You know, you're dealing with environmental terms, you had the Antichrist sitting in front of them. And he, he told a few jokes, and they rolled over and let him tickle their tummy. Um, I think they woke up the fact they could get a horrible shock on election day, so I expect them to be very active in the coming four weeks. Ken Livingston, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. it for this edition of Environment Weekly. Many thanks to my guests, John Vidal and Leo Hickman, and to my producer, Ian Chambers. For all your daily green news, go to guardian.co.uk slash environment and join the debate at blogs.guardian.co.uk slash ethical living. I'm Alison Benjamin. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.